we want you to be doing every week to say, hey, I don't think it's Memorial Day weekend. I think we need to be checking in on this. Well, good morning again, everyone. Uh, my name is Tim, one of the pastors here at Brookside, and it's so great to see all of you here this morning to be worshiping together with you. Always such a good thing to do Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Well, today we're going to be talking a lot about what gets and what deserves our best attention. And I'm really looking forward to talking about this with you this morning because we live in a world where so many things are pulling at our attention. I know how much I need to talk like this. Here's just a few stats that show us all the things that are vying for our attention week after week. There are studies out there that show that the average consumer, which is all of us, is exposed to up to 10,000 brand images every day. In 2015, Time Magazine ran a study that showed that people ages 18 to 24, they check their phones 74 times a day. Next age group, 25 to 34, they check it 50 times a day. And then the 35 to uh, 44 age group, the last age group in the study, checks it 35 times a day. So, so whatever age you are, everybody's checking their phones multiple times an hour. Some of you are like resisting the impulse right now to check your phones when I mention that. Michael Hyatt, he's a former publishing CEO. He's, he's an expert on leadership productivity. He's one of the guys I read a lot of. He says, people are more distracted than ever. Yeah, it's up on the screens. People are more distracted than ever. It's not just that we have more products available. We have more of every kind of media available. More movies, more television channels, more apps, radio stations, podcasts, video games, more news sites, blogs, and then, of course, there's social media, right? Facebook, Twitter, and everything else. Or here's the title of one article I saw from 2017. The title of the article, listen to this, it says, Why Your Customer's Attention. Attention is the scarcest resource in 2017. And so, so this article is making the case that our attention is finite, which we all know our attention is finite. And so many things are, are, are scrambling for the, for the attention of this finite resource. And that's just the technology side of things that I've been talking about. That this doesn't count the, the, the relationships that suddenly pop into your life unexpectedly. Right? This doesn't, this doesn't count the, the, the tragedy that hits that you never planned for. But that suddenly, after one phone call, after one email, your attention is diverted. Because this tragedy is right in front of you. I mean, this sort of stuff that I've been reading, these stats don't account for, for the relationships and the friendships and the rhythms and the routines that we want to build into our lives, that we, that we want to give our time and attention, right? Just going to the gym, reading, spending time with, with other relationships. Everything is vying for our attention. And then on a lighter note, my family, uh, Carrie and the boys, they were out at the farm Carrie grew up on last weekend. They brought home something else that will be vying for our attention at the Weeby household. Like we didn't have enough vying for our attention in the Weeby household. They brought home a kitten. And so this is Ace, another mouth to feed. Yeah, every woman is like, uh, every dude is like, where's your man card, Tim? You know, but, but so... So, so this kitten, which I've not given a ton of attention to so far because our boys love him, but he's still, there's still trips to the store to get stocked up to have a cat, right? There's a trip to the vet. There's monitoring, like hypervigilance monitoring the relationship between this cat and our dog who are getting to know each other. So everything needs our attention. You get the picture of what I'm trying to say. There are lots of things 
that want your attention. Every day, there are lots of things that want your attention. And so, so the question we need to ask is, is in the midst of this sea of possibilities of things that are vying for our attention, how do we choose where our attention goes? What even are the most important things that deserve your attention? And this is an important question to ask because if we don't, if we don't think in advance about what some of these big rocks in our lives are, some of these big rocks that deserve our attention first before anything else, if we don't answer that question first, then there's other things that are going to come in. They're going to get our time. They're going to get our attention. And they're going to crowd out space for the most important things that we want to be spending our time and attention on. But if we can identify what priorities deserve our best and our first attention, this makes such a difference for the way we actually live in our lives. When we can identify our priorities that we'll devote ourselves to, it helps us make decisions about what to spend our time on, what emails to kind of keep clicking through, or what just to hit delete on. It helps us live on purpose to be intentional rather than being tossed back and forth by every fad every two months or two years. And then certainly, it helps us ask God what He wants us to, to, to prioritize, right? Because we want to ask that question in a place like that. What does God think is most important for our lives? Because if, if we discover what He thinks are the priorities, then we can live the way we were designed to live. And there is nothing better than living in line with the way God designed us, designed you to live. So back to our question. What are the most important things that deserve your attention? Well, at Brookside, we're going to keep answering questions like this with the Bible. This book that is unlike any other book. It's the book we turn to first and most. Right? This is why we preach from it every week. This is why we talk so much about, about all of you reading daily from it. And we believe this book can answer questions like the one we're asking today. What deserves my first and my best attention? And so for the last eight weeks or so, we've been looking at Colossians. And if there's one thing Colossians shows us, is that Jesus deserves our first and our best attention. It's what Colossians is all about. Just the greatness and the goodness of Jesus Christ, who he is, but then also what he's done for us. And so Colossians says, hey, if this is who Jesus is, the, the, the Son of God, the Savior and Lord of the world, then it just makes sense that he deserves our best attention. And, and not just our attention, but our devotion and, and our worship and our allegiance but then as we keep track on our way through Colossians, we read that as we're devoted to Jesus Christ, we're also devoted to other things as well. And so as we keep tracking through Colossians, Paul gets really practical, talking about the greatness of Jesus Christ and the gospel, the good news of what he's done for us. But then Paul kind of takes that and teases it out and shows how the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done, how that applies into every corner of your life. I mean, maybe this is the first time some of you have even thought about it that way, that Jesus doesn't just matter on Sundays, but Jesus matters very much in each of your lives, in each of our lives, Monday through Saturday as well. And so we've seen that a life that's devoted to Jesus 
It's also devoted to strong personal character. It's devoted to, to healthy relationships at home. And so Paul talks about, about, about wives and husbands and children and parents. Talks about what happens during the work week, about the work ethic we bring to whatever job God has called us to. All these things that just show that Paul gets really practical, saying when you're, when you're devoted to Jesus, you're devoted to these other things that deserve our time and attention too. And then in Colossians 4, the last chapter of the book, Paul says, Paul says there's, there's a few more priorities I want you to see before he finishes the letter. There's four more priorities that deserve our best attention. And so here's where, they're, here's where, here's where we're going to go today, what we're going to look at. We also want to be devoted to prayer, devoted to mission, devoted to relationships, and then we want to stay devoted over the long haul. And so, so let's get into Colossians 4 so you can see these things for yourselves, how, how Paul shows us that our attention should be devoted to each of these things here in this last chapter of Colossians. So let's just get into Colossians 4. I'll start working through it just bit by bit like we so often do here at Brookside. But right away, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Here's what Paul says. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to this. Stay committed to it. Prioritize this. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now, if you're new to church, prayer, just the, the simple way to understand it, is, is talking with God. It's one of the habits that Christians practice that reminds us that our relationship with God is just that. It's a relationship. God isn't disinterested or disengaged from your life. Instead, God is very personal. God is very involved. And he's very engaged. And just like any other good relationship, communication helps that relationship flourish. Any good relationship needs it. So our relationship with God needs communication, needs prayer to flourish. And so the primary way God speaks to us, just, just to make sure we're clear, primary way God speaks to us is the Bible. Again, that's why we keep coming back to it. But the primary way we speak to God is prayer. And just so we're clear in that verse I just read from Colossians 4, that's a command Paul gives us here. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. So this isn't optional. This isn't just for people that like to do whatever they do, sitting at home in a chair, right? I mean, that, that are kind of introverts that like to talk to God. This is for everybody, the achievers among us and the introverts. Devote yourselves to prayer. You don't dabble in it. You devote yourselves to it. But I know how easy it, 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 it can be to, to feel intimidated by a command like this because I talk with people all the time who just say, Tim, I don't, I don't feel like I'm very good at prayer. I can relate to this. Prayer is one of those disciplines I need to constantly stay vigilant about myself so it doesn't drop by the wayside in my life. When I pray with my family, there are times I'm asking one of my boys to pray, and, and especially when they were younger, they would say, Dad, Dad, we don't want to pray. They shied away from it because they, they said, we don't know what to pray. We, we don't know how to pray. And I think so many of us feel the same way, where we think that if we can't pray perfectly, we better just not do it at all. But what if we looked at prayer a different way? What, what if we just framed it a little bit differently? What if instead of waiting for perfection, what if we just applaud 
any practice we take to talk with God and lean into that conversational relationship we can have with Him? What if instead of waiting for perfection, we think of prayer more like uh, an infant learning to talk with her dad, right? Where, where a dad, if he's got a young daughter who's learning to talk, he doesn't expect perfect grammar. He's not going to expect full sentences or kind of ride her, right, for, for saying the wrong thing. Instead, that, that father, for a child who's learning to talk with him and interact with him, that father is going to applaud and cheer on every gurgle, every word, just to encourage more and more and more of that. And then over the course of the time, right, the child grows. She learns how to interact with her dad. But the dad doesn't wait for perfection before he cheers on the practice. That's the picture of prayer I want to put in front of all of us. Don't feel like you need to wait for perfection. Just start practicing talking with God, sharing what's on your heart, talking with God about who he is, what's gone on in your day. And then over the course of the time, you grow in this, in this habit of prayer. And so we commit ourselves to taking small steps of obedience and talking with God. And then over the course of time, we grow in, in prayer. And all of that, all of it, the first steps and the growth is how we show that we're devoting ourselves to prayer. We, we just say, talking with God is important enough to me that I'm going to work at it, that I'm going to practice it, that I'm going to get better at it so I can experience the relationship with God that He intended for me to have with Him. And so let's get really practical because prayer is that important. I want to spend some more time on it. Just get really practical, give you a few tools in the toolbox for how you can start to practice prayer. If this is a new discipline for you, or if it's just something you feel like, I, I, I need some help with this. And so here's a few very practical things you can do to grow in prayer. It starts with just cultivating a big view of God and His involvement in the world. And this is where it starts, right? This is number one for a reason. The others are kind of more whatever the order is. But I think steps for growing in prayer start with cultivating a big view of God. There's a great book on prayer that this guy Paul Miller wrote. Listen to what he says about this. He says, oddly enough, many people struggle to learn how to pray because they're focusing on praying, not on God. That they're focusing on the process, not the person. But when we focus on God, on who He is, on how good He is, on His sovereignty, on His greatness... I think as we focus on God, prayer follows naturally from that. Prayer flourishes out of that big view of God. But when we forget God, or when God becomes very small to us, that's when prayer withers. So learning to pray starts with cultivating a big view of God and His involvement in the world. I also want to encourage you to consider praying at the end of a pen. And here I'm just talking about writing out or journaling your prayers. One thing it helps us do is it just helps us stay attentive to praying. Our minds wander. Notifications come up on our phones. By writing our prayers out, right, it helps us stay focused on what we're talking to God about. But then also over the course of time, if you ever go back and read the things you've written, it's such a great way to chronicle God's activity in your life. And see the ways he's been active. See the ways he's responded to the things you've been talking with him about. 
Another thing I want you to do is to pray on the spot. Where when you hear something to pray for, stop and right then, pray for it. It's not rocket science, right? I, I love it on Sunday mornings when I'm walking around the building and I just see little groups of people, two people, three people, kind of hands on each other's shoulders, praying for something. It's such a great way to just pray on the spot. When somebody mentions something, say, hey, let's just take three minutes right now and pray for that together. I was having lunch with Brookside's founding pastor, Steve Maltemeyer, a few years ago. We were at, at Panera, Steve's favorite place to go. He was having a salad, but... Uh, and I was having something that wasn't a salad, probably. But, but we're, we're there in the, middle of this, in the middle of this meal. Steve gets a text. Must have been some urgent prayer request. Because in the middle of our conversation, he just says, hey, let's just stop and pray for this right now. And so in the middle of our conversation, we stopped. We prayed for this request. And then we picked up our conversation where it had left off. But what a great example of praying on the spot. And then one more practical tip is just get a jump start from others. Here's what I mean by this. When my prayer life feels dry, when, when my battery feels drained, the best thing I can do is just turn to some of the prayers that we see in scriptures, people talking to God and making those words my own words. The Psalms are great at this. I do this often where I just make the words of the Psalms into my own prayers to God. And pretty soon that, that juice from that battery <laughs> From the Psalms, it jumpstarts enough, enough language into my own prayers that I'm talking to God again. The Psalms are great for this. The Lord's Prayer in Matthew is great for this. In so many of Paul's letters, he prays for those he's writing to. They give us great words to use in our own prayer lives. But don't be afraid to get a jumpstart from others. And so whatever habits you find, whatever rhythms you create, you get the picture. You hear what I'm trying to say? Devote yourselves to prayer. Let's be a praying church. Let's grow in this. Let's be willing to practice. And then over the, over the course of time, we will discover so many good things about this relational connection we can have with God through prayer. So the next priority that we want to stay devoted to is we're devoted to prayer. We're also devoted to mission. Look at what Paul says starting in Verse 3 of Colossians 4, so to pick up where I left off, Paul continues, he says, And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. And then Paul turns his attention away now from this, from this personal request, and he, and he shows the people how this, what, what he'd just been praying for, how it applies to them, this early church in, Col in Colossae. Verse 5, he says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Mission and evangelism is all over these verses. Paul isn't concerned with his own comfort here. He, he's not concerned with his own best interests. When, when Paul writes Colossians, he is chained to a Roman guard under house arrest. He is awaiting trial before this guy, Emperor Nero, who is the highest authority in the land. And Paul doesn't know how that's going to turn out. But in the midst of these circumstances, when Paul writes this, he's not praying for comfort. He's not praying for release even. He's praying for more 
of what got him arrested pretty much in the first place. Because Paul knew how important the mission Jesus gave his followers is. Some of Jesus' last words on earth at the end of the gospel of Matthew. We read about it in Matthew 28, 19. Here's, here's the mission that drives Paul. Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Paul knew that mission was for him. And so he says, pray that God may open a door for our message. Pray that he may proclaim that message clearly, as I should. But then Paul says, but this isn't just for me either. This isn't just for the pros. This isn't just for the apostles. Because he looks at, at this young church in Colossae. And he says to all of them, this mission is for you too. So be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Let's go to back to those verses. Yeah, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Pa Paul assumes that this church is engaged in meaningful relationships with people who don't follow Jesus. Right? That's, that's the outsiders he's talking about here. People that, that don't know Jesus, that don't follow Jesus. But we are engaged in relationship with. So, so being a Christian, we don't retreat. We don't isolate. We engage in meaningful relationships with people, even people who don't believe the same thing as we do. We, we make the most of every opportunity where our antenna is up to say, okay, how, how might God use this interaction? Maybe it's over the fence in our backyard. Maybe it's in the break room at work. Maybe it's greeting the new neighbor that just moved into your, into your neighborhood. But, but what are the opportunities God has put around me where, where I can just, over the course of time, right, in, in natural conversations, let people know that, that I love Jesus and how, how Jesus is making a difference in my life, where you invite people into the life that Jesus offers them as well. And then you let your conversation be always full of grace and seasoned with salt. I love that Paul uses the word conversation there, right? This isn't a PowerPoint presentation. This isn't a monologue. This is a, this is a conversation, a back and forth that is full of grace and seasoned with salt. So that way it leaves a good taste in people's mouths when they're done talking to us. So that way even if they don't agree with everything I say, even if they're like, Tim was crazy talking about who Jesus is and what Jesus did, even if they don't agree with everything I say, they still say, but you know what? I'm glad I had that conversation with him. I know where he stands, and I know he cares about me enough to share some of these most important things with me. And so we make the most of every opportunity, letting our conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, telling others who Jesus is, what he's done for us, the difference that makes, and then inviting them into that life with him as well. So let me talk with every follower of Jesus here this morning. It's a lot of us, right? What relationships are in your life right now? What, what names and faces come to mind when we read passages like what we just read in, in Colossians 4? Whereas you, as you heard us read, make the most of every opportunity, what opportunities can you, can you call to mind right now that's like, hey, you know what? I need to follow up on that phone call. 
I need to check in on that person who I know is having a rough time. I need to take the first step and meet the new neighbor. What opportunities are in your life right now? What relationships exist in your life right now that you can, that you can have your conversations with that person be full of grace and seasoned with salt, looking for ways to just genuinely and conversationally share about Jesus and the difference he makes in your life. Now let me read our last chunk of Colossians. Colossians 4, 7 through 18. Get ready for a lot of names. We're going to read this, and then we're going to come back to it. We're going to see two more priorities that stand out as we stay devoted to what Jesus wants us to stay devoted to. So here's Colossians 4, 7. Paul continues, he says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I love how Paul describes some of these people, right? As we keep reading, you'll just see little phrases he uses to describe these people he mentions. If Paul was going to describe you in just a phrase or two, a word or two, what would you hope he would say? Tychicus, right? He's a dear brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've, re- re- you've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, maybe you remember his name from chapter 1. He's the guy that planted the church at Colossae cares about this church deeply. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. So we'll talk about a picture of being devoted to prayer. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. That you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas... Remember that name, Demas. We'll come back to him in a second. Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. And give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. Verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains grace be with you. I I love how Paul ends this letter. He doesn't end on his own circumstances. He's in chains. He wants them to remember that, right? Remember to pray for him. But he doesn't end with his circumstances. Paul ends by by blessing this church, by, by wishing grace upon them. How much does that say about Paul? What's at the front of his mind, right? That the good of the church, not his own personal circumstances. All right, so I told you that was a lot of names. But before we skip over these names and say, that was a mouthful, let's, let's be sure and notice what these names point to. Every one of these names shows us that Paul was devoted to relationships. I mean, that's why he mentions the 10 or so specific people that he mentions here in Colossians 4. Some of these relationships probably came pretty naturally to Paul. 
but some of these relationships took work. Dig into the history behind this mention of Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and you'll see a history of a fractured relationship that needed reconciliation for Paul to say what he does here, for them to greet Mark. So some of these relationships were easy. Some of them took work, but every one of them shows that people matter. So as driven as Paul was, right, high achiever, he had a mission to accomplish. As driven as Paul was as a dude, relationships matter. They, they matter because, because Paul knows what relationships do to us. Relationships forge us into different and better people. And then re- relationships create partnerships, Paul knows, that help advance the mission of the gospel into places that need it. And relationships still matter in these same ways today. By devoting yourself to relationships, you are forged into a better person. The relationships around us make us into the people we are in such a significant way. And then those relationships become teammates that help us advance the mission of the gospel, another thing we're supposed to be devoted to. So we're supposed to be devoted to prayer, to mission, to relationships, and then to to staying devoted over the long haul. That's tucked into these verses. It may be easy to miss without a little backstory. In Colossians 4.14, Paul mentions this guy by the name of Demas. He's connected enough to the church in Colossae to get mentioned here, right? But then we don't get any other explanation about him until a few years later. When Paul writes another letter, this letter to a guy named Timothy. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in another list of names, we see this name Demas pop up again. And again, so, so this is written a few years after Colossians. Look at what Paul says about Demas three, four, five years later. 2 Timothy 4, 9. Paul tells Timothy, do your best, Timothy, to come to me quickly. For Demas, same guy he mentioned in Colossians 4, for Demas because he loved this world, has deserted me. And he's gone to Thessalonica. Every time I read about Demas here, I am haunted by this. Because Demas's trajectory wasn't up and to the right. We don't know how Demas's story ends, but every indication is that Demas was just a blip. Right? He followed Jesus for, for a spurt, but he couldn't sustain it over the long haul. Brookside, let's be the sort of followers of Jesus that stay devoted to Jesus, not just for a spurt of time. Let's stay devoted to Jesus over the long haul. Let's, let's be devoted to perseverance. And key ways we do this, key ways we stay devoted to perseverance are by doing a lot of what we've already seen today. We stay devoted to prayer, right? We stay committed to the mission. We stay involved in relationships. Then when we put all of those things together, then when we add other important things, like daily scripture reading into that, when we put all that together, eventually that creates this, this devotion to perseverance, to staying the course over the long haul through the valleys and the peaks that go with just life, following Jesus over a long period of time. Stay devoted over the long haul. Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3, is such a great picture 
of what Paul calls us to do. Let me read those verses. Where the author of Hebrews, he says, Let us run with perseverance. There's that word, right? Perseverance. The race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition. So we're going to keep Jesus in the front of your focus. It's what Colossians has been saying. It's what Hebrews 12 says. So that you won't grow weary. So that you won't lose heart. So that you'll persevere. So that you'll stay devoted over the long haul. So in this flurry of things that get our attention, that, that are asking for our attention every day. Today we've seen such important priorities, four of them, that should be at the top of that list of things that, that get our attention, that get our time, that get our devotion. We should be devoted to prayer, devoted to mission, to relationships, and then we stay devoted over the long haul. So by, by way of application, well, let's just talk about two steps to take in, in light of what we've seen today, in light of these four priorities that should get our attention. So, so there's, there's a short-term step, an immediate step, and a long-term step. So the immediate step, which of these priorities we've talked about today, prayer, mission, relationships, perseverance, which of these priorities that we've talked about today have fallen off the map in your life? Hey, hey, has one of these gotten more absent than the others? What were you just say, I know that's the one I need to focus on. And then what, what thing can you do this week? What step can you take this week to lean into this priority? To say it's fallen off the map, but I'm going to bring it right back front and center so I don't lose my attention on these things that matter most. So that's the immediate application. Now the long-term application. Over the course of the next few months, just this summer, for the remainder of this year, right? So kind of a halfway checkpoint. How do you stay devoted to each of these things? So that way your life isn't all about prayer, but you neglect mission and relationships. Because each of these things is important for a well-balanced life of following Jesus. It's just discipleship, right? Each of these things is important. So how can you make sure that each of these things are on your radar screen over the long haul? And then, and then imagine hitting your pillow at the end of a long day, right? Where, where you're just exhausted, doing a lot of things we just have to do every day, right? But where you say, in the midst of all this flurry of activity of what I've done today, I've also stayed devoted to the things that matter most. Whereas you look back over your life over the last week, you say, yeah, I've been devoted to prayer. I've made the most of opportunities for mission and evangelism. I've committed myself to relationships and invested there. And then I've stayed devoted over the long haul through whatever ups and downs this week has, has brought. My focus is set on Jesus and following him. Any practice steps we take, any baby steps we take this, God is applauding. So don't wait for perfection on any of these things before we start taking steps of obedience to stay devoted to prayer, to mission, to relationships, and to perseverance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,
Father, we thank you for the book of Colossians that has meant so much, I know, to me personally, these last eight or ten weeks or so. And I've heard so many good things about from Brooksiders, about how it's shaping them and forming us into people who follow you and honor you, Jesus. So, Father, now I just ask that these, that these priorities that we've seen from Colossians 4 make us individuals that are characterized by these priorities. Make us a church that is defined by these priorities. So we are a church that is devoted to prayer, to mission, to relationships, and to perseverance. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.